0: Okay, so as everyone settles down, I want to introduce our speaker tonight. So she is apparently amazing at growing, cultivating, collecting, however you want to phrase it, the little succulent plants. Uh, Has a huge array of them and apparently takes very good care of them. But those aren't as succulent as the amazing succulent salsa that she prepares. And if you've never tried it, find an opportunity to go over to her house and eat it because, changes lives not as much as Jesus but still <laughs> now that salsa it's nothing compared to the succulent sound of her worship and her love for God and uh, the truth that she spews so if you all are excited for Natalie K. Hill to come and speak tonight can you make some noise Man, that is high, every time, I fall for it every time, anyway, yeah, Rachel, thank you, that is high praise, Um, what you didn't know, Ray, is that I killed two succulents just this week, Um, one of them was Brittany's, I'm sorry, it's dead. I'm really excited to be speaking tonight in our semester-long series on the Book of James as we talk about faith and works and how they interact. I'm also super excited to be speaking in front of all of our guests um, and all of these people who are back here. Um, Blaine was so gracious and kind in switching weeks with me. I came down with the Fall Retreat plague as most of us have um, and so he we switched streets with me which was awesome I was super grateful for until I realized the implications um, and I was kind of thinking you know he gets out of church search night he happened to get out of tonight um, I don't know fully if it's a coincidence anymore but um no just just kidding I I uh, you know what's done is done um and um, I'm excited to be, to be speaking tonight, and I hope that I can bring um, at least some of the wisdom that Blaine brings every week. Um, I've been really grateful for his leadership and his teaching, so I hope you guys are too. Um, I guess it's just me, so Blaine, I hope you feel affirmed by that. Um, so yeah, I'm excited um, this week to be talking about James 3. So if you want to flip over to your bi- in your Bibles to James chapter 3, If you have your Bibles or an app on your phone, you can also follow along on the screen. It will be up there. But last week, Blaine talked about our actions and how we transform our actions after we've been transformed by Christ. And In this chapter, James is talking specifically about our words and taming the tongue. And so we're going to read through this whole chapter, um, 18 verses. So if you want to follow along, um, I'm going to start in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now there's a lot in there. We're going to unpack it or at least try to unpack it. Um, But I think the whole book of James and really a lot of the epistles They're really just helpful rebuke. The writers are talking to the church, they're talking to believers, and they're bringing wisdom in how to, one, change maybe some of the actions that we're doing, and then, two, provide a solution to what's happening. So sometimes it's a little bit harsh. Um, I don't know about you, but reading this passage, it kind of hits a little bit close to home. But I do think it's really needed. James here is talking about and telling the believers um, the power that the tongue has. The power of the tongue has to bring danger, um, and that can hurt the church, hurt the body of Christ. He brings a warning and a rebuke, but he also brings a charge for us. He also brings a solution for us. So I've kind of broken this into a couple parts that I feel like um, we can describe the tongue by. So point number one, um, James shows us that the tongue can't be controlled. So there's this, um, I believe it's a documentary that I watched a couple times. Um, I can't say I would recommend it from the pulpit, just because it can get a little edgy, um, as real life does get edgy sometimes. But um, it's a coming of age documentary of sorts, and it follows the experiences of teenagers, mostly girls in high school, and kind of the, the drama, the, the um, peer pressure, the, the issues of popularity that goes on in that season of their life, it's really, I feel like really hits close to home from my experience in high school, um, and maybe you guys too, and it was pretty popular, maybe you've seen it, it's called Mean Girls. Um, oh, so you've seen it? You've seen it, okay. Um, so then you guys know the main person, um, the main character, Katie Heron, describes this phenomenon that uh, I can really relate to. She calls it word vomit. Um, what word vomit is, is when you have thoughts in your head that against your better judgment and sometimes your, like, physical effort, they just come out without realizing it or without without being able to control it. You know you shouldn't say it, but just it just comes out. These girls were a little bit extreme. I can't say I was exactly in their camp, but how many times has that happened to us? Honestly, how many times have I been thinking something and knew I shouldn't say it, but it's like somehow it comes out. We're always biting our tongue, right? We see that in the Psalms. Um, I don't think the psalmist has watched Mean Girls, but um, maybe he has. Um, Psalm 120 talks about, the psalmist is saying, Lord, save me from my lying tongue, my deceitful words. Um, He has to make a prayer and a petition to God to save him from his own tongue because he has no control over it. We see in, in, in James, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, um, we just see that, that no one can tame the tongue. The verse says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can't tame it. No matter how hard we try, the words that come out aren't always what we want, but they, they come out anyway. We can't control it. That's point number one. Point number two, what we see in James is that the tongue is dangerous. Verse 8 says that it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We see danger coming out of the words that we speak and the things that we say, gossip, quarreling, unrest. Our tongue has the power to hurt. It's a deadly poison, and it can hurt ourselves, the rest of, of the body of believers. Um, it's a deadly poison. Words, they, they hurt, they sting. They stay with us for a long time, and I'm sure you've experienced that both on the receiving side and I know for myself on the giving side. When I, a, cu- a couple years back, I was about five. Um, I, um, I was over at my cousin's house, and my cousin is nine years older than me, and so she was like going her- through her own dramatic mean girl's phase. And she was fighting with her mom, I remember, and I was sitting on the couch, and I don't know what she was upset about, but she yelled out, everybody hates me. And I was like obviously that's not true. And so I said, oh, but no, I don't hate you. And I sincerely, I mean, I wanted her to know it's not everybody. I I don't hate you. Um, To which I remember it so clearly, she turned around and she said, shut up, Natalie. Don't tell my mom I said shut up. Um, And I, I just remember the pain that it in that moment, it hurt so bad. It sounds like a silly story, but I harbored those feelings for longer than I probably should have. Um, We did kind of come to terms with it. I did confess to her about that about a year ago. Um, uh, This sounds like a testiphony, but it's not, it's real. Um, We had a conversation. She was like, yeah, I don't remember that. I was like, well, I do. that's okay, we're super close now, and um, yeah, I don't hold that anymore against her. All that to say, as silly as it was to hold it for as long, those words hurt. They had the power to hurt me, and they did, Um, and there are way more times where um, we're not being sarcastic, when we're being true, um, and we can be hurtful. We also see in this chapter, in verse six, that our tongue can can affect our whole body. Verse 6 says that it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself set on fire by hell. So not only is it dangerous, but it affects the rest of our body. I think that this affects us personally, my own body, but also in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church and he refers to the church, the body of believers, as a body, that we are all different members of the body who perform different functions, but that all work together as one body, Right? So, just as my words affect my body, they affect the body of the believers. They, they affect all of us in this room, all of us in the church. The things I say might affect Josh, who affect the rest of, uh, of all of us here. So that's where we see um, how words can corrupt the body of Christ. We see divisions, we see anger and fighting and gossip. And I'm a, a culprit of this just as much as anyone else. This is how we see church splits and people holding grudges against people. And honestly, um, I think some of the most hurt we've probably ever experienced, I know myself included, has come out of the church. It's come from words that people say within the church. And I think that's because the most dangerous part that James is talking about here is that out of the same mouth comes praise and comes cursing. It's not just that we're speaking negatively, but we can speak praise in one second, and in another second, we're cursing. That's where the most corruption, the most sin, the most hypocrisy happens in the church, and that's why we're hurt by each other so often. And and we see in Scripture that the devil works within the church a lot of times to bring the corruption, to bring the division. Which brings me um, to my, my third point, which is that the tongue is a reflection of our hearts. In Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he just says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I think James is is talking about a deeper issue than just maybe the words that we're saying. It goes beyond just what we're saying and into a, a heart issue, which brings up this issue of praising and cursing in the same breath. I think what he's getting at is an issue of integrity, it's an issue of authenticity. I once heard my pastor Heather Zempel from National Community Church talk about integrity and authenticity in a worship setting, and she basically just described it as all of the parts of my life integrating, right? Does every part of my life match up? So does the, the Natalie who is the worship leader, does that match up with the Natalie who's with my roommates or with the conversations I have with my friends? Does the Natalie who's in small group having a discussion, does that match up with how I treat my parents? And how I talk at home, or interact with my non-Christian friends. Does every part of my life integrate? Does it match up? Does it go together? That's what authenticity and integrity is. Um, you know, another example, am I truly a hipster if I don't listen to music on vinyl? Um, the answer is no, obviously. Um, James is saying that a saltwater spring can't produce fresh water or vice versa. Uh, Fig trees can't produce olives. Whatever the root is, whatever we sow, that's what we're going to harvest. Something opposite can't come from something different that we sowed, right? So, praising, cursing, James says, this can't be. It can't happen. Some examples of this. Again, I talked about the Pharisees in Matthew 12. Um, The poor Pharisees, we see them throughout all of Scripture, and they just for all of eternity, have served as a really sad example for what not to do. Um, And and the the sad part about the Pharisees is they've got some of it, right? You know, like, so so they're doing a lot of things right. They're obeying the law. They're in the temple. They're worshiping God. But in the same breath, they're cursing others. They're not following Jesus. They're abiding by the law, but not by the grace that was given by God. So we see that the, the Pharisees, their lives don't match up. Every part of their life doesn't match up. It doesn't integrate. Another passage that I, I love, I think I've talked about it here before, is in Isaiah chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Um, Isaiah is just a book of prophecy where Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God for the people of Israel. And in this season, Israel is rebellious. They're they're far away from God, and so Israel is, is speaking on behalf of God. And it's kind of a sobering passage. Um, example of what god has called us to do and what not to do and how to live authentically as people who are followers of christ it picks up in verse 11 and this is what it says Uh, the lord is speaking it says the multitude of your sacrifices what are they to me says the lord i have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals i have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incest is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. So there's the rebuke, right? God is rebuking Israel for all of the practices they've done, but it's because they haven't followed through with all that they've been called to do. And the next part is the charge. In verse 16, he says, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Now, in Isaiah he's not saying that those first things aren't important because that was part of the law. But because they were missing the other part, those parts of their lives didn't match up. And in that, we weren't following Jesus. They weren't following God. And that's not what God was pleased by. We saw last week by what Blaine spoke that it's in our actions, it's not just our words, but in our actions, what what reflects the heart. Um, Personally, does, does every part of my life match up? So for me, one thing that I... Every week when I lead worship, a lot of you guys know I'm a worship leader, I have to constantly be examining my heart and be confessing um, and be in prayer before the Lord that worship is about him. We, we require this of the band that plays every Thursday that we make sure that our hearts aren't full of pride, that we don't make it about us. Because we can be up there singing praises, singing worship to God, but if my heart is all about me, then that's just meaningless stuff. But that's not true praise. It's not true religion. It could be countless other things. It could be thoughts, our thought life. Are we harboring unforgiveness or anger, bitterness towards someone? Are we um, are we pursuing purity in our relationships, in our dating relationships? Um, are we living one way but, but holding on to that in, in, in another way? Um, are we being generous? The Bible calls us to, to give a tenth of our income back to him, to, to give him glory for what he's already given us. The, the Bible also calls us to to give towards missions and to give to the poor and and to to take up the cause of the fatherless, of the orphan? You know, are we caring for the poor, the orphan, um, those who are disenfranchised? Are we welcoming people into our lives that aren't like us? Um, These are all things that are in Scripture, but it's easy for us to not do that or not want to do that or just kind of make excuses to not do that. Um, but but what we're doing is that part of our life isn't integrating with the rest of our faith. It's not integrating with the rest of what Jesus has for us. And what James is saying is that that shouldn't be. That's not true religion. That's not, not authentic faith. There's this subculture of kids um, who grew up in the church. Maybe you were part of this, um, part of church musicals. Um, some of you are like... Yeah, some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, you're probably better off. Um, I had the opportunity to be in many church musicals. Um, I used to be proud that I was off in the lead until I realized that there were only about five people eligible for the lead. Four of them didn't want the lead. Um, and so I played Samantha the camp girl. I played Dr. Fruitcake. I was a shepherd in the nativity story once. Um, and we did this musical once called Dr. Newhart's Neck Up Checkup, And it was a story about um, going to the doctors, I guess, which is kind of weird now that I think about it. Um, but we were talking about every part of your body and how, how to use it to glorify God. And I always remember it because, um, because it talked about, uh, whenever I read this chapter, there's a song called Tame Your Tongue. Um, and now that I'm thinking about it, I always wondered why when I got to public school, church musicals didn't really count as experience in my 300 person choir, but um, again, I'm not bitter because I'm moving past that. Um, the song that was called Tame Your Tongue, and of course the track had like safari animals in the back because we're taming things. And, um, and one of the lines, it, it, you know, is corny, this whole thing, but it, it, it's meaningful. The line said, compliments and complaints can't come out of the same mouth. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Because honestly, like, I'm really good at complaining. Um, yeah, I'm way better at complaining than I am at complimenting, honestly. Um, so in preparing for this message, all of this stuff is like, oh, do I have to preach that? Do I need to say that? Um, but James is saying that, that these two things don't go together. Our words reflect our hearts. And when we aren't living authentic lives, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. I'm sure you've heard this, this statistic. The the main criticism of the church is hypocrisy. Isn't that so true? Because we're praising out of one mouth and we're cursing out of the other. I'm complimenting you and affirming you, but I'm also complaining about this person or I'm, I'm pretty good at gossip or... Um, I love some people, but other people, not so much. And this is, I want to clarify, this is different from maybe rebuke or criticism, right? Because um, James is rebuking us. Um, We're called to hold each other accountable and and lift each other up in our faith. That's different. But this is sinful speech. God calls us to live authentic lives, um, and we're called to live with integrity, So, so far we've seen that the tongue can't be controlled, it's super dangerous, it's a reflection of our sinful hearts, and that's quite the rebuke. Um, But, what we see in scripture is that whenever there's a rebuke, God provides an answer for us. He gives us a way out. And there is hope. James gives us a solution. Um, He gives a solution to this problem of the tongue. It's not easy, but it brings us to our fourth point. And that's that the tongue has the ability to bring life. In verse 17, we see that there's a wisdom that comes from God. It says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. There's this, this, this wisdom that is of God and has good fruit. So we've all been hurt by people's words, right? But we've also been blessed by people's words. I know I have. That's why we create this culture we hope to in Kyle of affirmation of calling out the best in people and saying, hey, I see this in you, and I want to affirm that. It's why we tell people we love them. It's why we don't just keep it in, but people need to hear that they're loved. Um, studies show that the most pleasant word for a person is their name. So if you say my name, it's something so pleasant to me. If you say Natalie, it's so pleasant in my ear. Um... Words have a power to bring healing and restoration. Um, Yes, they can hurt, but they also can bring life. And there's this wisdom that comes from God, it comes from heaven, that if we speak out of that, we see life in ourselves and in others. Um, But then James talks about this other wisdom, this wisdom that's of ourselves, um, that that it's not of God, it's more out of our own pride it's easy to get those confused for ourselves and for other people to get that confused for us. But if we speak out of the wisdom of our own pride and of ourselves, we see death, honestly. We see that in ourselves, in our own lives. We see that in the lives of others. We can bring pain, we can bring hurt. It's why um, it's not really wisdom at all. James puts it in quotations. He says this wisdom in verse 15, because he's saying that it's actually earthly. He says it's unspiritual and it's demonic. This wisdom that's of ourselves, not of heaven. And, it, and that's what has the power to bring hurt, to bring pain and death. That's what's the deadly poison. But we have a, a wisdom that can become, be from God, and we get to choose between those two and how to act. Where are we, we going to act? Which one are we going to act out of, right? Um, I think the problem for me, and I, I'm sure for all of us, is that I'm much too satisfied with that wisdom that's out of myself. Um, but God calls us to more. He calls us to more, one, because as believers, we're called to grow. We're called to go higher, go deeper, go further than where we're at. We're not called to stay where we are. But also, not only for that, but it's for our benefit. It's, sometimes it's hard to believe in, in the moment, to think that forgiveness of someone will actually bring joy and bring release for us we'd actually rather control that and hold that on. That feels better for me, but the truth is that that's not how it works. Um, When we choose to be generous, God rewards us in so many other ways. When we choose to walk in purity, where we have more joy and fulfillment in our relationships. When we choose to forgive, we see God take control of things and that we don't need to be in control of them anymore. As believers, it's it's our job to choose the wisdom that comes from heaven. And to not be satisfied with ourselves. We might not be able to tame our tongues, but we can work on our hearts. We know that because in this chapter, God provides a solution. We see in James 15, or in um, John 15, Jesus is talking about that we as believers are called to bear good fruit. And we bear good fruit by remaining in the vine, is what he says, and and he's saying that he himself, Jesus Christ, is the true vine. If we remain in him, we will bear good fruit. That if he's our source, the fruit that comes out of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the fruit of the spirit because he's our foundation. If, if we are, if our root, if, if the source is, is fresh water, what's being produced is fresh water. And the truth about that is, is that it takes work. If you were here last year, we ended the semester on a sermon series called Work It, and it really was, was the beginning of this James series on how faith and work works um, go together, how they coincide, and, and it takes effort from our part, right? We, we talked about what we call spiritual disciplines, and there's a whole bunch of different spiritual disciplines, but ways for us to continue to put Jesus first and to grow in him. Some of those things are devotional life, are constantly being in scripture every day. We should have a consistent daily devotional life where we're we're being filled by what's in the Bible. A prayer life, communication and relationship with Jesus. Not complaining or harboring feelings or bitterness or unforgiveness in our hearts. Another spiritual discipline is confession. is honestly confessing the things that need to maybe... That they, they don't line up. What are those things? And honestly, confession, we, we talk about this a lot. Confession is an ongoing thing. It's not like today, I'm going to confess my sins, and from here on out, I'm good. Confession is constant, and that's why we have small groups. That why we, that's why we have prayer during W. that confession is, should be a normal part of our daily lives. Because then we're being honest about what parts of our lives aren't authentic, aren't matching up, and where God can replace that with something good. So we're going to spend some time in reflection, um, kind of processing this, and the band is welcome to come up. And they're going to play for a little while. Um, and there's going to be some people on the sides and in the prayer room uh, ready to pray with you guys. There's a lot of a lot of steps we can take coming out of this, I think. It's easy to read these chapters and feel this rebuke and feel... Um, oh shoot, I have all of these, this long list of things that are sin. You know what? We're sinful. But God calls us to not leave it there. Just because we're sinful beings doesn't mean that he hasn't called us to something greater. And we get a chance to accept that something greater if we reach out and take it. So as we reflect, um, I have a couple questions that, that might kind of guide um, where we're going. We get the choice to stay where we are or, or to go deeper. That's up to us. One question is, um, and as we kind of spend some time reflecting on it, and maybe write these questions down or be thinking about them throughout this week. It doesn't just end here. But let's start tonight. What in my life doesn't match up? Where am I not living authentically? What parts of my life aren't integrating with the rest? What parts of my life aren't matching my faith? Another more specific question, just what needs to change or be replaced for the outpouring of my life to be praised and to be a reflection of Jesus? What are those specific things that God wants to cut out of our lives? And honestly, cutting things out is painful. It's a hard process. It's gonna hurt. But the healing is so much greater, and what he's called us to is so much greater. Um, As guidance, there's a lot about the Bible that is maybe hard to understand. Revelation, That's really hard to understand. Um, Calvinism and Arminianism, that's kind of hard to understand. There are things that we see in the Bible that are sometimes confusing for our our minds to really comprehend. The majority, though, it's pretty clear. Um, We can find our answers in here. If we're questioning what's right and what's wrong, it's probably in here. And if there's something in, a lot of people have said this before, if there's something in here as we're reading in our daily devotional, lives, if we're reading through it, if there's something that's like, hmm, I don't really like that, it probably means we need to examine it and examine our own lives about it. And I said it before, like, that happened this week as I was preparing for this sermon, and I was like, oh, does the Bible really say complaining is wrong? Um... When we feel that push, that probably means we need to examine it. And if you're looking for your answers, we have each other, we have community, we have people like me and Blaine and Josh and Brittany and, and people who will teach and who have wisdom, but um, you can find your answers right here. So what needs to change or be replaced? Honestly, this all starts by surrendering everything, surrendering all, and I feel like every time I preach, it kind of comes back to this, to this point of surrender. But honestly, we don't see the breakthrough. We don't see what Jesus has until we give him everything. So during this time, um, you can sit where you are. You can journal. You can ask those questions and be praying through it. There's going to be people on the sides in the prayer room. um, I'll be over there. If you want to meet with someone to receive prayer, if there's something that you need to confess, those are people that are great to confess to. Not just that we know your baggage, but that we can pray with you and stand with you and, and and continue to walk through this journey with you. If you have questions, that's where you can find people too. There's also, we, we talk about it every week, but there's this altar space and there's nothing, you know, overly spiritual about this extra carpet compared to this. It's exactly the same, but there's something about an altar where we can come up and lay something at the feet of Jesus, leave it there for him and walk away. There's something about giving up control by laying it at the altar, laying it at his feet, and saying, God, I give this to you. And there's something important about kneeling in front of Jesus, knowing that he is the authority, that he's greater than us. He knows way more than I know. And that I might be confused about this thing. I kind of want to hold on to this, and I feel like it's good for me. But, God, I know that you are wiser than I am. I know you're greater than I am. And when I kneel at his feet, I recognize his authority in my life. I think God honors that. I think God, God honors the humility that we, we bring to him. We might not know everything, we might not be willing to give up every single part of everything in this exact moment, but God honors the process and he honors us when we take the step forward and give him that part of our lives. So you can spend some time in, in prayer with someone with, on your own up at the altar, it will be open. Um, and then we'll respond also with, with a song of surrender, of just lifting our lives up to God and saying, God, this is yours. But I just hope that with, with every TNW, every small group, that we just don't let ourselves leave unchanged. We get a chance to be closer to Jesus every day. We get a chance to grow in him. We get a chance to know him more. And I just don't want us to take advantage of these moments. And this doesn't just end here. This is a continual process, right? So as we go out the doors, like after we pray or after we, we sing this song, like we go out and we see Jesus move continually in our lives. It doesn't just stop here. It just happened on a Thursday night. Um, God wants to keep this process going. So I encourage you throughout this week to continue processing what God's doing here. But as we create this space, this moment to worship, to pray, to confess, and to recognize God's authority in our lives, um, would we, we, we lay down those things that might be not matching up with who God is in our lives. What are the things that are keeping us from living authentically with Jesus? And not to, to just wallow in that, but then um, to, to go further, to give that up and let, and let Jesus have his way. So as we sing, um, let's respond. I'll pray for us. God, we recognize that you um, and your plan is far better and greater than anything that we know. We recognize that we're sinful and that our desires aren't of you, but um, that they feel good, that, that we like them that it's easy for us to have control. God, I pray that tonight we recognize that your authority and your um, Your love and your grace for us is way greater, and it covers all those things that you taking control is way, way better than, than anything that we can have planned. God, I pray that you'd open our hearts, that you would bring out those things in us that aren't of you, that don't match up, that don't integrate with the rest of our lives. God, would you bring them up, not just to to show us that we're guilty, but God, to call us to something better, to replace it with more of you. God, I just pray that you would be here, that your Holy Spirit would be present. God, let us grow as a community together, seeking you, not being held back by the things of this world, but desiring a true relationship with you. God, we invite you here. Thank you for loving us and showing us grace, even though we fail so often. I pray this in your name. Amen.